Thank you so much for joining Really Specific Stories, Greg. It's wonderful to have you on the show and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. First question in this conversation is how did you get into podcasts, Greg? Sure. Uh, So I got into podcasts essentially as a podcast sponsor. Uh, And so this is back uh, when uh, Jean McDonald was working with us at Smile. Uh, She came to us and suggested that we ought to sponsor this podcast called Your Mac Life with Sean King. I can't say that I had known tremendously much about podcasts or paid tons of attention to them to that point. Uh, So, of course, she was asking us to spend some hard-earned money and therefore quickly brushed up on, okay, what is this thing? Who is this guy? Uh, And what sort of audience does he have? He was quite colorful, and uh, he had a very dedicated audience following, and so it was quite fun to get started. Having not listened to podcasts before this approach that Gene made, what was your impression of the medium at that early stage? I think that I was surprised that one could produce a sort of niche audience that was both extremely niche and very passionate. I mean, the fact was that at that time, Apple itself was super niche. Um, you know, we were, it was not the juggernaut that it is today. And so it was really interesting to find sort of this collection of fellow travelers and again, how responsive and passionate they were uh, or are, let's be honest. How did things go in that early period when you did try that for the first time? Did it perform well? How did it travel? Extremely. So what we did, if I recall correctly, was we generated a coupon code and part of the read from Sean was, you know, if you're interested in probably disc label, I think at the time, then use this coupon code for probably 20% off. And uh, it performed well beyond expectations. I mean, prior to podcasts, we had been doing print ads and the print ads had been fairly effective, though it was clear that, you know, they were on the wane and it was really neat to find another spot where we could advertise and also how specific and targeted and I'm going to go with passionate again, uh, that, 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 that audience was, or is. I like that point that you made about print waning mm-hmm. at that period. And it still is on that long waning transition out, I suppose. Were you noticing new people looking at your services and your products because of podcasting? Or were they the same people who had moved? What was the audience that you were interacting with uh, these passionate podcast listeners? Yeah, I think we found new people. Um, And I think that maybe there was some overlap between podcasts at the time. So as we rolled on a bit, the next sponsorships we did were with Backbeat Media. Uh, So this is Dave Hamilton's company. And we started with his podcast, so Matt Geek Gab. And shortly thereafter added Matt cast with Adam Christensen. And so, you know, this was an outfit that had more than one podcast, which was interesting. Um, and also different audiences. So the audience for Matt geek gab was not necessarily the same as Matt cast. Matt cast was a more general audience. Matt geek gab was a more hardcore, you know, Techie audience. Even within the Mac nerd community, there's like, you know, a spectrum of where people fell. And so I think that we were able to hit very general Mac 
friendly audience with your Mac Life, another a slightly more technical audience with MacCast, and then hardcore tech audience with Mac Geek Gab. And so there may have been a little overlap between each of those audiences, but I think there also was a, a core of people who were fairly specific to each of the podcasts as well. What I find intriguing about this start to the conversation is that you were absorbed or influenced to look at this medium because of a business end or an idea for a project or a campaign. At the same time, listening to these podcast episodes in this fledgling medium, how were you motivated to start listening maybe separately in your personal life? Did things progress quickly or meander as you discovered shows separately from the need to advertise? I did not become a hardcore podcast listener until quite a bit later than this even, to be honest. I mean, really, I think for me, it was the advent of the Apple Watch combined with the AirPods Mm. so that I didn't have to strap a phone to my arm when I went out running and I could listen to a podcast while I was out running. That was the game changer for me was the... I could have it in a convenient form where I wanted it when I was accessible. So, you know, in terms of history, you're talking about maybe at least a 10-year period from Mac Geek Gab to present. And what I was doing at that time largely was listening to segments of the show to have some sense of what the topics were, uh, listening to our reads for sure, since those were things that, that we were paying for, and occasionally listening to podcasts that Gene or others had identified as things that we might consider advertising on. But to be fair to Gene, the relationship building with the hosts and the community aspects, that was largely uh, what she was doing. Now, this is something I haven't come across yet in some of our conversations, this idea that Apple Watch plus AirPods was the real turning point. And that's great because you're talking about that portability and mobility. Different people might enjoy it at the desktop, I think we can accept that a lot of people went with it with iPods and iPhones. That discoverability of the content is interesting to me. The fact that you just said that you were listening to excerpts or segments. Lots of podcast listeners may be completionist, but you're going for particular segments. Was it easy to find those things that you needed? And was there any role or how did you use things like show notes or transcripts? Was that present? For the podcasts that we sponsored, uh, they did have and do have show notes. And also, uh, in the case of Backbeat Media, they had an administrative division, essentially, or folks, um, I think actually Dave's wife, who would send time codes for where our slot appeared. And so frequently it was listen to the intro, listen to the ad, and then pick up if there's something in the episode. But, you know, before too long, we were sponsoring several podcasts and the amount of time that it would take to listen to each and every one of these in the course of a week was not possible, especially while (laughs) running a fledgling software business. Fast forwarding to the podcasts that you listen today, whether for business or for personal leisure, Mm -hmm. what are the things that you're enjoying particularly as a listener today? The specific podcasts or... However you wish to approach it. Sure. I mean, I I really enjoy some of the Mac community 
sprung podcasts such as Core Intuition. I really enjoy Rocket. Uh, so Rocket is, is particularly fun because it has three strong women in tech who just do a fantastic job of the podcast and I think also have a great deal of fun doing it. So they, they manage both the, the depth and the, and the light as well. And I think they do it deftly. So I really appreciate them. Let's explore each of those two podcast examples that you just gave. Sure. Core Intuition first, because you brought that up. How did you come across Core Intuition in your suite of podcast subscriptions? And what do you enjoy about that particular program? I am trying to remember exactly how. I mean, it, it would have been Gene again who began, but I, I think Smile was hosting parties at the developer conference um, and Daniel was on the invite list. And so I would have first met Daniel at I, at one of our parties. And then I think in a subsequent developer conference, we went and got veggie burritos somewhere near the Moscone Center. So I don't know exactly at what point along that way it came, we came to sponsor Core Intuition and whether it was entirely Gene's bringing him to us or us meeting him and then doing uh, it. So I, I apologize for, for not knowing the history exactly, but it would have been some blend of those things. That's okay. And I love that you remember the burritos specifically. Was that because they were fantastic or really bad? I don't remember if they were fantastic <laughs> or really bad. I do remember that uh, Daniel was a vegetarian and we ah. needed to find veggie burritos somewhere in a couple block radius. And we managed to do that. Actually, now that I think about it, they were good. They were good. I, I, I believe we went to Maya, which no longer exists in San Francisco, but, uh, but at that time was doing some pretty, pretty fantastic food. That's a good memory. I like that. And uh, it's specific, which goes hand in hand with the name of the show. So listening to that today, what do you get out of Core Intuition as a listener? I get a taste of what an indie developer is thinking of what's going on in the world. Um, and, and also evolved indie developers in the sense that Daniel is uh, you know, very much out of the macOS, iOS, Apple world. Uh, and Manton less so, uh, not that he didn't have a background in Apple, but that he has moved into the sort of more general realm of microblogging and micropodcasting. And even his tech stack is, you know, is, is migrating as a course of doing that. Uh, but, you know, so Taxi Spinner is around 40, 50 people now. And so I don't think we qualify as being an indie developer anymore. Uh, so... It is fun to hear folks who have, you know, stuck it out as one or two folks uh, along the way. And, and I, I like their perspective. I like hearing it. That word indie is a, is a very interesting one because I suppose like open, there's a question of where that definition or that boundary ends. You know, when are you too big to call yourself independent? But I assume you also wouldn't call yourself big tech necessarily. Right. I mean, I'd like to think that we have the spirit still, but I, I understand that I don't know that that would be where someone would place us if you were sticking post-its on a wall under categories. No, very fair. And going back to what you said about Apple Watch plus AirPods, these are the devices that you're using to listen to core intuition? Yes, definitely. And in fact, it might be worth noting that I've worked from home for the past 19 years. I've n never commuted in recent memory. And so I am aware that a bunch of friends and folks that I know who do commute use that time to listen to podcasts. And so 
they have their phone in the car and that's how they do it. Uh, for me, it, it's really the time that I've had to do that is when I'm out running. And so at first I did the clunky strap your iPhone to your, to your arm and, you know, even with wired earbuds and did not find that to be a really pleasant experience. I mean, I, I did it for a bit in part, uh, I think at one time, just so that I could make sure that I was up to date on what we were doing, uh, because it was a good time to do it. But there was not a lot of personal pleasure to it because it was clunky and inconvenient. And which podcast app or apps are you using with this combination of devices? So presently, I use a, uh, Overcast and I use Apple's podcast app. And it kind of depends on whichever one I can coax to download to the watch, whatever it is that I want. And you know, I feel terrible for... Marco, in the sense that I don't think that Apple has done him any favors in terms of that process. Uh, and I'm, I think he's designed a really nice app. So, you know, hopefully as time wears on, they will, Apple will tackle his remaining feature requests so that it could be a little bit more reliable to download a podcast to a watch and know that it's going to be there and be pretty sure that you're not going to be stuck on 17% for, you know, waiting, trying to get out the door to go on that run, 18%. Okay, we're still stuck on 18%. <laughs> I mean, that unfortunately is the experience some of the time, but it's still way less clunky than strapping a phone to your upper arm. So, Well, I'm an Overcast user on the watch as well, and I totally understand where you're coming from. There's that great functionality or potential, but that synchronization time can be interesting when you're in a hurry. Yeah, well, and it's got to kill you as a developer because it's almost certainly completely beyond your control. So that's just, that's rough. And what do you prefer about using Overcast, I assume? Because Apple Podcasts is the first party option. You've gone to the trouble of downloading a separate app by Marco Arment, as you mentioned. What do you like about Overcast? I like the design. I like the organization. Um, I think that it is somewhat opinionated as well. It doesn't try to be everything to everyone. Um, and so yeah, I find that convenient. That's great. You mentioned Rocket <laughs> as another little case study there. What would you say are some of the key differences or the different things that you get out of listening to something like Rocket versus Core Intuition? There is a significant gaming component to Rocket. Um, and I am not a gamer. Uh, in fact, actually, I think I've probably told folks that you know, I sit in front of a computer, working on a computer all day long. Literally, the last thing I want to do for my entertainment is sit in front of a computer. So I get information and interesting tidbits from folks who are the exact opposite of that. I mean, uh, Brianna had her own gaming company, and you know, all, all three of the hosts are active gamers, and you know, all, all the way from nostalgia as children to actively being excited about whatever's current as adults. And it's just fascinating to me. I, I get to be a, I don't know, for lack of a better term, sort of a, a voyeur onto a world that I know nothing about and they make it accessible and fun and interesting. People talk about audio like podcasts or even things like audiobooks or radio being that kind of escape. You're listening to this while you're running. When you're listening to something like Rocket, how would you explain that kind of escape? Does it stay just in the fact that you're wearing your earphones, your AirPods, or 
that escape element is that extra because it's something that you don't engage with normally as gaming, like the topics? Wow. Uh, that's a fascinating question. I think it's probably a little bit of both. So there's the environment and the fact that I can do this while pursuing leisure, right? So that, that works. And then there is the, the dynamism of the host and their passion in terms of what they care about and how they're able to convey that. And that dynamism of the hosts, have you ever been influenced to pursue things in this gaming area or things that you haven't normally looked at? Or do you maintain that role of the voyeur, as you said? Yeah, no, no, I haven't. I still can't. I mean, part of it's saying I, I get to imagine how someone else can, can choose to do that and enjoy it. Uh, but I can't say that I've been influenced in that direction. Now, that's fascinating. And I like the fact that you chose the word voyeur because that's maybe getting a bit too semantic here, but it does have that idea of watching or looking from afar. But you're applying this word to something with audio where you're hearing someone from afar. That That's very interesting, that, that idea that you're dipping into someone's conversation from afar and enjoying what they're saying and maybe not necessarily acting upon it, but just enjoying the listening experience. What What is the audio equivalent of where is there is there is there a word i wonder maybe some listeners know maybe i should check the dictionary <laughs> once we're finished here i don't want to go no sure sure it's just a fun question <laughs> it is a good question um as a listening fan of shows like core intuition and rocket and the fact that you're already active digitally you know you so that you have your own business in, in software are you very engaged in speaking to hosts or people who run podcasts or do you take more of a, a back seat or, or enjoy it purely as a consumer? How do you interact with the podcasting world beyond listening through earphones? Sure. I, I've done a number of podcast appearances over the course of my career. One complication, I suppose, to that is that we're very active podcast sponsors and it's a little awkward to appear as a guest on a show that you sponsor. Um, the hosts are all excellent about making sure that you know our sponsorship doesn't match up with the episode that we're in, and disclaim that you know we we didn't essentially pay them for our appearance. But it's a tough line, and so for the most part, uh, you know I, I don't appear a ton because uh, there are essentially this mild conflict of interest, um, and so you know my my role over the years has been primarily as a sponsor and then secondarily as an occasional guest. Yeah, on that point, I like that there's this idea of transparency or openness about the fact that you're a sponsor and that you're respecting your listeners as a podcast guest that way. I think that's fantastic. How do you think about the idea of this community? Because in the process of talking to you now, uh, there's a few different roles or personas that you're fulfilling as a listener. You've got podcast guest appearances, you've sponsored podcasts, you may even just be friends with some of the people who are recommending or hosting or listening to things. There's a lot going on here uh, in what seems like a relatively simple definition of podcast listening. How do you think about the role of the community in engaging with fans? Is it something that you consider primarily business driven? Is it creatively tied? Is it a hobby? If someone asked you to define what is this community that you're tapping into, what would it be? Wow. I think there's a bit of all of the above in that, in the sense that 
There's the podcast itself that someone creates and produces um, and, and puts out into the world through their RSS feed. There's the community that they engender by doing that, so the listenership that they have. And then there's the engagement that they choose to pursue. So for example, I would say Core Intuition is a high engagement show. They have their own Slack. Uh, they're, they're quite active there. They have an audience that participates in the Slack and listens to the show. So uh, that's sort of high engagement. Then uh, and, and another show with sort of high engagement in that way would be, say, Upgrade uh, with Mike Curley and Jason Snell, where uh, they have a very active Discord, for example. And contrast that with, say, a show that is a podcast because it's kind of time-shifted. So an example might be Hidden Brain with Chanka Vedantam. So it's an NPR show that's time-shifted, and your engagement with the host is essentially non-existent. You're not going to go pop into a Slack and, and chat with Shankar. That's not how it works. And so I think that there is a spectrum, and you know, probably you could rate a show on any given axis of you know, host engagement, community engagement, and sort of what level of involvement or opportunities are offered in those spaces. And as a listener of Core Intuition, you mentioned the Slack. What has your engagement been with the Slack as a listener? Is that something that you partake in? I am a modest participant, so I have an account. I I have posted on the jobs board. We've actually found uh, an employee through the Core Intuition Slack, so that's great. Oh, wow. But uh, I have not been super engaged in some of the other aspects of it. So there's sort of a programming portion, there's an indie developer portion, that kind of thing. And that just hasn't been an area that I've engaged in. And I'm sure that you have your own other commitments and time pressures in life. So you dip in and out as you need, is that right? More or less, yeah. No, that's very fair. Now you brought up NPR as a kind of alternative or at least a different format or style in the sense that it's time shifted, but not high on engagement. Separate from the world of tech podcasting and that community and your involvement, what other media do you particularly enjoy consuming? And that could be audio, it could be visual. What is in your media diet beyond tech podcasting? Beyond tech podcasting would be the time-shifted NPR shows. Uh, so, you know, I might have tried to catch fresh air at one o'clock Pacific back in the day, and it's great that now I can sift through and pick the guests that I'm interested in. Um, and then in terms of maybe you asked media that isn't even podcast, you know, I'm known to watch TV. Uh, I think I just finished, what was it? Slow Horses, which was very fun. Uh, so, And how would you explain the kind of escape or process of consuming things that aren't tech podcasts? What do you get out of those things that's different? Could be better, could be worse. What's different about the other stuff? That's a good question. I mean, I think scripted television is much more passive, low engagement, uh, and and low brain power. I think to a certain extent, not 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 to insult the creators of scripted television. I think the fact that it allows one to do that is excellent in and of itself. Um, and then, so you know, your 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 NPR podcast would be higher brain engagement you need to pay attention frequently 
think about background or think about what the topic is or, or what the host is on about. Um, and then, but for the tech podcasts or other community podcasts, that's a case where you have both the brain power and potentially the engagement as well. Just in that answer you gave then, you mentioned the show Slow Horses, which I believe is an Apple TV Plus program. Yes. How did you discover or get into that one? If I recall correctly, it was sort of on the screen for Apple TV Plus, and it had an interesting title. It also had stars Gary Oldman, whom I like. And so that got me enough to click on it and watch the preview. Having watched the preview, I was like, okay, this looks like it could be very fun. Yeah, Gary Oldman's cool. What do you like about Gary Oldman? What do I like about Gary Oldman? I think that he's ridiculously versatile. He pretty much can do anything, as far as I can tell, as an actor. And it's really fun because you'll see him in, in one thing, and he's just so completely different than what you see him in as another. Are there any standout movies for you or TV shows that have Gary Oldman? Because, and, and I'll qualify this, the reason that I pick on Gary Oldman is that I particularly love his role in The Fifth Element. I just think that's one of the most quirky or interesting kind of villain roles what are some other kind of examples for you that that you love in your film collection or history oh let's see trying to think of sorry to put you on the spot that's my job no that's fine (laughs) in fact actually it's kind of ironic it's it's a little similar and and i think they even took a little a little joke about it in slow horses but i i enjoyed him in tinker taylor soldier spy as well which i suppose ironically is him playing very close to what he's playing in Uh, slow horses but a much better spy (laughs) and when it comes to tv watching or movie watching the similarity that it has to podcasting is that it's now primarily a digital medium but it's visual as you said it's passive do you find yourself recommending media like tv and movies or talking about it with other people in a similar way to what you do with podcasting? Oh, sure. What are the different levels of communication around what you're consuming? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly for, for all media books, podcasts, uh, and television and movies as well, uh, the primary way that I would find something would be a recommendation from a friend. I, I mean, so is, is, is the exception by far. Uh, you know, the rule would be much more along the lines of somebody who says, hey, I saw House of Cards and it was really fantastic and you ought to watch that. Or why have you not watched C yet? You know, or, or, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about something, but you haven't watched it, so I'd be spoiling it. <laughs> so that type of thing. And how does that factor into this world of digital recommendations or algorithms that we have these days? Because you just said normally you're talking to friends or people about what's coming up uh, or what you should be watching. You said you discovered slow horses on the screen. It was placed there digitally by a human or the computer. How do you think about algorithms in consumption and discovery? Yeah, I think that in the case for slow horse, I believe it was really just listed because it's a relatively new show. I don't think that it was targeting me, although you bring up an excellent point. Was it or wasn't it? I, I don't know one way or another. And that is maybe a little bit disturbing in the sense that if it is an algorithmic recommendation, it's nice to identify it as such. So, you know, when you're on Amazon, for example, books recommended for you based on, and then sometimes it's based on what you've read or based on the consumer product you've just bought or based, I mean, they're, they're quite transparent about what is the source of the recommendation. 
Uh, so if Slow Horses was an algorithmic recommendation, then it is maybe a little bit creepy. But I have a feeling that that's very much static content that, you know, that, that they're rotating. Disturbing is an excellent word. It's very clear, very descriptive. Bringing this idea full circle about advertising and how people discover content do your less favorable views about algorithms have anything to do with your decision to be an ongoing podcast sponsor this idea of a human inserted ad yes okay so i definitely in terms of transparency and the import of that matters and so engaging with a host is really critical in terms of podcasts that we would choose to sponsor podcast that we would continue to sponsor, etc. Um, the best podcasts by far are those where the host already has experience with your product, likes your product, and can speak, you know, first person actual experience to it. Uh, you know, I'm not as interested in an podcast network inserted ad that has no connection to the show that the hosts are doing. I mean, the best placements are ones that run straight in line where the hosts are doing the reads while they're doing the show and will occasionally riff on whatever the, the read is or, or will do their own read, which is also fantastic. The sort of second best is when a host will do the read and or the riff not so much in line with the show and there'll be a pause and here's the ad and here we go. But if that's in the authentic voice of the host, I think that that's still a very effective and engaging way to do a sponsorship. But the sort of algorithmic insertions, less so. And you can see it in the performance, right? Like the the numbers that you get uh, in terms of engagement with a host red ad that's in the middle of a show are higher than with a host red ad that's an interruption and are higher than an algorithmic insertion, which is kind of down the bottom. And if I may ask, is that something that you've actually seen in your own performance? Yes. Oh, definitely. I'm saying in terms of what we see for the advertising that we do do. Fantastic. No, thank you for sharing that insight. That's really interesting because you hear that kind of thing, you know, that tech podcasters say and Sometimes it may be difficult to understand if it's something to do with a certain bias or just a personal preference, but you're saying that as someone who is actually actively engaged with both, yeah. one is noticeably better than the other. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone's new to podcast sponsorship and they're being approached by, say, an advertising representative, I think the questions you, you want to ask are, can I get my product in front of the host? Does the host have any previous experience with my product? Can I engage with the host? That type of thing. Because if you can build that relationship, you're going to have a much better and much more effective sponsorship than just a read that gets inserted randomly into a podcast that may fit your demographic, but isn't necessarily going to achieve the engagement that that you want. Cool. Now, in that answer you gave, you said for people who are new to podcasting, it is still possible for people to be discovering a medium like podcasting. And as more and more media get funneled through this digital channel, you know, it's different formats, different styles, human curated algorithmic, as you were just saying, basically everything gets funneled through the internet that there's this divergence and convergence at the same time. Is there anything that you're really yet to get into as a medium? It might not be podcasting. Is there something that you want to try that maybe you've been 
restricted in looking at due to time or other commitments? I mean, I think that video in terms of YouTube sponsorships or, I mean, even TikTok grant, not my generation, but still might be of, of interest just given its massive popularity uh, are areas that we are not deeply experienced with. And video has a sort of built-in disadvantage in that its production costs are vastly higher than audio. And so it's intimidating because if you're going to make a bet, you have to make a very, very big bet. Whereas for podcasting and in particular in audio, the bet that you have to make is considerably smaller. That's a fantastic point. Now, covering everything that we've discussed, your varying personas and roles across all these different things as a listener and as a sponsor, is there anything in your history with podcasts or connected media that I haven't asked you about that you would like to explore or mention? Uh, Sure. I mean, I think historically there's some fun stuff uh, in that we sponsored Mac Power users uh, when they first got started. And that came about literally because Gene went to them and said, you have a great podcast. Now you need sponsors. (laughs) Wow. Sign us up. Um, And so that was a really fun way to get involved with something where, uh, you know, they had the show, but they didn't have the sponsors. um, And we were able to essentially grow with them. And uh, they've been our best performing podcast pretty much forever. Um, And so that's been fantastic. And then we also had a bit of fun because we got to see additional evolution. The 5x5 network came about around the end of 2011. Um, And so that's Dan Benjamin and Hattie Cook at that time. And uh, there was a show that came to the network eventually called The Prompt, which had Federico Vitici, Stephen Hackett, and Mike Hurley. And then they broke away from 5x5 and began their own podcast network. And we were super honored because they came to us and said, okay, we're doing this. Will you please sponsor us? And we're like, oh, yes, definitely, in the sense that it's the people, right? It's it's not the, the network. It's not the, I don't know, the theme song. It's not the artwork. It's the people. And, uh, you know, we knew that wherever they were, they were going to create a show that had the same spirit and values and community that their previous show had. And, and they did. Um, and so that, that's really neat. That point is wonderful. And it really resonates with me, that idea of people, because hopefully, I mean, this is what I hope that this podcast is showing that there are individual people, but closely entwined that form these communities. And when you look back over the history of your involvement with podcasts, how do you feel to have been so closely entwined with these different programs, these different people that you put it, the influence or the role that you've had? I mean, I think it's been an honor to be able to sponsor folks and then to see what amazing things that they do with their show, with their community. I mean, consider Relay FM right now is completing their campaign for St. Jude. They've, they've had their podcast-a-thon and right now they're about $39,000 short of raising $494,000 just this year and then $2 million over the course of their raising money for St. Jude. And that's just amazing. And they're able to bring the power of their 
community and their network as well. So network is a new phenomenon or relatively new phenomenon uh, to do such tremendous good. So perhaps as a a wrap up question, because I'm conscious of your time today, for someone who is looking at this community, what would you say to someone who's thinking, is it worth my time looking at some of these podcasts that you enjoy adding it to their feed and starting to listen to some episodes? I, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I definitely <laughs> would recommend uh, Rocket, Core Intuition, Upgrade. And then, uh, you know, I really appreciate being able to listen to time-shifted items. Uh, I am remiss in that I have not checked out Hemispheric Views yet, so I need to get there. That's true. Um, and I'm delighted to to have discovered uh, more of really specific stories in the lead-up to appearing on the show. Well, the fact that you're even kind of mentioning those two things in the same sort of realm is very flattering and no offense taken. You're, you're already very busy with your podcast feed, so that's totally fine. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap up today? Uh, nothing specific. <laughs> <laughs> There's that word again. I love it. Look, Greg, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's been great to have you on the show and learn about your very varied experience. Of course, if there is anything that does pop up in your mind, that's what links and show notes are for, and listeners can explore that in detail. Thank you so much for your time, Greg. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was very fun.